0: Hi, you're back at the Faculty Factory Podcast and I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins and I'm looking at Dr. Ashley Paul. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Kim. I'm so happy that you're here. Everybody, you're in for a treat. Dr. Ashley Paul is lovely. She's here at Hopkins. She is an assistant professor in neurology. She is the clerkship director for the Neurology Corps clerkship in the Parkinson and Movement Disorders Center And drum roll, the big news this past weekend that Ashley didn't even know that we see her face plastered in our grocery stores and on bookshelves as she was named one of the top 100 doctors in Baltimore. Congratulations, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so cute that you didn't know about it. Your friends are congratulating you. You're like, what? For what? I love it. (laughs) Exactly what happened. Friends, let me set this up for you. Ashley, is this the super cool person who every time would run into each other and talk to each other she is this font of like interesting cool hacks and tips and apps and sites and she's all about uh, time management and efficiency and every time I meet with her I'm like jotting down notes I can't even keep track of all the stuff that you the cool things that you know and I was looking at your signature file, Ashley, and you have your Clifton, your five Clif- Clifton strengths listed there yes. and make so much sense because they are harmony, positivity, relator, communication, connectedness. And those all speak of such, such a. Um, I know happiness and joy and connecting people and bridge building and building community and I love it and I love seeing people's Clifton strengths because it always reminds me of how we can complement each other and help um, amplify each other's work by building on our own strengths. So thanks for sharing your Clifton strengths in in your signature file. But what do you talk with us today about? Kind of like, why don't you take it backwards? Like, how how did you come to find out so much and know so much about time management and efficiency um, in academic medicine?
1: Well, it really began with the research I used to do in happiness. And not a lot of people know this about me, but um, when I was an undergrad, I wrote my honors thesis on what happiness looks like. And it was a cross-cultural study where I looked at how uh, Eastern cultures versus Western cultures look at happiness and other factors that influence our happiness, such as our feelings of optimism, our feelings of how we perceive the world, the type of barriers and boundaries that we put up. Um, and it was it was very interesting. It was a lot of fun. And it was something I thought, huh, I could keep studying this. And I feel like I sort of did as a hobby. <laughs> and i would pick up a lot of books about how to live a happier life and eventually i came to realize how much time management and happiness are intertwined and how we always feel like we don't have enough time in the world and i feel like if you speak to anyone no matter what their profession mm-hmm. is whether they're in academia or whether they you know no it doesn't matter right any any profession any job any person in 2023 will feel like they have no time and there are a lot of studies out there that show that that may not be as true as we think that some of this is cultural especially in the United States we have a huge emphasis on productivity and work is so much a part of our identity whereas in other countries that's not the case and so in some other cultures certain things that help build time for happy and healthy habits are
0: built into the culture.
1: Whereas in the U S you sort of have to try to carve that out for yourself. I feel like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My sister and I just got back from a wonderful whirlwind vacation. We went to Norway and Belgium and in ten, I literally got back just a Saturday night, which is why I have a cold. Um, It, we in 10 days we did we had we're in seven airplanes six hotels and five major cities and so we were typical skorupski girls andrea and kim just (laughs) power walking 22 some thousand steps a day motoring from site to site to site to site but she and i both reflected on and observed how and a lot of the place the beautiful places in Brussels and in Bruges, Belgium and in Oslo and we in Bergen and these wonderful places people would sit and just sit there at these cafes outside and we'd be walking up by and I'm like look at all these people who are just like hanging out are like must service must be really slow here because nobody has food and that's when I realized well they're not eating they're just stopping for a beer and they're chatting or having coffee and there's no food being ordered they're literally just stopping yeah. not to mention the whole dining experience when she and I i can't remember which city it was then um we sat down ordered wonderful food and there were two daughters and a dad we ended up talking with them later but um dad was like in his late 70s the daughters maybe in their 50s or whatever but they were there and we sat down and when we left, they were still there, and we yeah. learned that on there they just then ordered desserts after having two rounds of post-dinner coffee drinks. So that was a whole event. For me. I mean, the dinner was a, a whole entire hours-long event, and that really reminded both of us reflecting on how, in the states, so you're so right, Ashley. Culturally, that is. S- looked upon at, or we perceive it to be like what a waste of time i'm not being very productive here i gotta grab my starbucks and right race get back on the you know the right running like who has time to sit for hours now granted we're in a vacation spot so maybe some people are going that's not fair but i do you know hear what you're saying with other cultures it's part of the way the blueprint for living is to stop for breakfast and lunch and tea afternoon tea and there is a slower pace
1: Yeah. And, you know, when was the last time that you sat and even thought about what you're eating as you're eating it? No, never. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And were you really then present for that meal? If if you're still kind of working and looking at your emails while you're eating, you know, it's a funny thing. But when you're actually thinking and experiencing your meal, it doesn't actually necessarily have to take that much longer but you get so much more out of it. And right. so I have tried to incorporate these kinds of things into my routine because it really does impact my sense of time and then therefore my sense of happiness and my well-being. And so I, might, I try to make sure I go outside at least once a day and just go for a walk and with no purpose. Sometimes the purpose is to go to one of my favorite coffee shops and get coffee. But but then it also becomes a source of interaction and you know even just that exchange with the barista and saying, Hey, how's it going? How's your day going? Or mm-hmm. hey, look sure looks busy in here. You know, it's those little interactions actually do make you feel good and it empowers you to actually work better. So, you know, I, I think sometimes when people try to be productive, they don't think they can take a break or they feel like they can't do these little things, or I have to eat lunch while I'm working, or the work won't get done. But the reality is that you won't do your best work, and you may actually even take longer when you don't give yourself that time to recharge, even throughout your day. You know, I, we're we're good. Well, I don't know if we're good at this either, but we do take vacations, right? We we right. try to go on vacations to recharge. But really, we should try to build a, these little micro recharges throughout our day, and mm-hmm. maybe even on the weekend or one day, you know, you set aside saying this is kind of like my vacation day, although you may not be traveling, you can treat it as like, you know, this is the day that I treat myself and I'm not going to worry about anything. And and so Saturdays tend to be for the most part, of course, you know, sometimes things come up, but Saturdays are sort of my recharge day. I'm in vacation mode. I don't open my laptop. Um, I don't touch work at all. I don't look at my emails. Um, knowing that Sunday I'll start getting back into it and start prepping for the week ahead.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's so important what you're saying that, and you said something that made me reflect on. Um, my next door neighbor ran the Chicago Marathon a couple of weeks ago, and she had her best record and a personal best time, despite the fact that the last she got mile twenty two, almost a twenty three, and she said, "Oh my gosh, I hit the wall. I don't think I can do this." She texted, she had her phone with her, texted her sister who's run marathons. And her sister said, Alyssa, you have this. Walk for a minute and then run for a minute. Walk for a minute and then run for a minute. And she said that kind of like, I can't do that. But she did. So she slowed down to walk for a minute and then run and then walk and then run. And she still got her personal best time. So I I think it was reminding me that we, tend to get in these panicky modes thinking that I gotta go 100 percent or it's all or nothing without recognizing that exactly what you're saying if it sounds counterintuitive or the paradox is if you slow down if we slow down and take that big you know recharge of air and oxygen and moving our bodies and like maybe switching the lens or the framework that we look at things that can actually make us better. Versus stuck in that stale groove and thinking that we're just going to muscle through it, um, which could end, up, like you're saying, take it end up taking longer because either you're exhausted, so you're not doing your best work, you just have to redo it later, mm-hmm. or um, you're just such a, in such a crunchy place that you can't motor through it because you're just you're exhausted and you're you're just it's, it's slogging through something that if you'd step away for a minute, you'd come back and then you could s- skate through.
1: Yes, and. I actually try to build that into my routine as well. The idea of even switching up what you're doing so that you don't end up in this log. Um This is not actually something I read anywhere. I just sort of started doing it on my own, but it was probably inspired by a lot of the things I read. A lot of things that we just talked about, you know, uh, are not just based on my own personal experience, but um, there's a book called happier hour by Cassie Holmes, who does talk about the importance of, having moments and being in those moments in order to help recharge yourself. And she actually talks about a scenario where she's uh, walking her son to preschool and he's trying to say, Hey, look, mom, look at the rose bushes. And she says to him, we don't have time to stop and smell the flowers. And she kind of catches <laughs> herself and says, you Why know, you like <laughs> this is exactly the type of mentality that, that we get into and actually maybe taking a few seconds to stop and smell the flowers is a good thing and actually will make you more productive. And it it is hard to do, right? It's hard to adapt to and adopt that kind of strategy because it does feel so counterintuitive, but I think it gets easier once you started and you keep doing it and you start actually seeing the results of it. Um, One of the major results I saw was that I certainly was not less productive by stopping and taking micro breaks throughout the day. And uh, that that's, definitely been such a helpful tool for myself and one of the ways i help to myself to to keep doing that is um something that we talked about before which is focus mate i love focus mate um if anyone has ever done wag it's kind of like wag but whenever you want (laughs) anytime you want um so it's great because you don't have to plan too much ahead and so it's a website where you basically sign up to do work at a particular time for multiple sessions in a row, you can sign up for one. And there's some type of algorithm built in that it will find another person somewhere in the world that is trying to do work at the same time as you are, And so that becomes sort of your body double, right? And it's it's a funny thing, you know, it must be the mirror neurons in the brain, right? That we tend to try to mirror what's happening around us which is why sometimes people work better in libraries because there's people around you also working hard and studying and that promotes your brain to start doing the same. So Focusmates kind of does that, but on am Zoom. Mm-hmm. And so, um, or whatever platform, they don't use Zoom, but you know whatever video platform that they have built in. Um, and at the start of the session, you say hello to your partner that you don't really know. <laughs> and you just basically say what you're going to do in this session. And then at the end of the session, you wrap up by saying what you did.
0: And so, yeah. and so much like the WAGs. And so those of you who are new maybe to the podcast, um, Ashley talking about WAGs, writing accountability groups. And you can go to wagyourwork.com. There's a whole um, portfolio of tools there. There's a book, there's a paper, there's videos and recordings about establishing a sustainable writing habit you do it in small groups of people who you write for one hour a week. It's only one hour and that 15 minutes the first 15 minutes is reflecting on what you've done the past week and setting an intention for today's writing session and then there's like a time 30 minute communal writing session where everybody just writes for 30 minutes There's nobody be talking and then the last 15 minutes are like a wrap-up and reporting on what you did and then what are you going to do for the next seven days before the group meets so yeah when Ashley mentioned Focusmate I was like what this is amazing and so I actually emailed Focusmate like I want to do an app to help people come together on WAGs because I, you know, when I started these, oh gosh, almost 12 years ago with my my colleague and mentee, Dr. Karma Fouché in in Chicago, and brought it here to Hopkins, I just got overwhelmed with trying to schedule and find people WAGs. I mean, there are now thousands Mm -hmm. wagging. And I'm like, I can't keep the spreadsheet. I don't have, you know, time to be keeping hundreds of spreadsheets. So I thought I need an app, and so I actually emailed Focus Mate and said, "Hey, can I um, partner with you?" And have not heard back yet. So that's a, this is a reminder for me to get back in touch with them. But-
1: yeah, I mean, why reinvent the wheel if they have some type of right. algorithm already?
0: Exactly. Yeah, Focus Mate, love it. So share some other um, tools that you that you'd shared with me that kind of blew my socks off.
1: <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, I'm not sure if I mentioned this one before or not, but it was something I actually was recently talking about with another friend. And that is actually the importance of setting boundaries, which Mm. is similar to, you know, the talks that have been given at the um, early career woman leadership program about how to say no. Um, I think boundaries is is basically the same idea. And knowing what your limits are and trying to get a, a realistic understanding of how you're using your time and uh, how much time and energy you need towards any given project or, you know, task. And so I try to every week at the, you know, on a Sunday, I look at my calendar. I look at what's ahead in the week, what's ahead in the month. And I try to also look at what's coming up next month. So nothing takes me by surprise and I block time in my calendar by by the tasks that I'm trying to do and so I have some reoccurring ones um one of my reoccurring tasks I call it deep work and I stole that term from Cal Newport who talks about how in such a busy distracted world that we live in there is the work that's cognitively heavy and takes a lot of time and energy and it's very important right it's it's the type of work that helps you, Change your field, right? Get promoted. Um, then maybe the things that you really care about and that that drew you to your profession. And then there's what he refers to as a shallow work. And by shallow, he does not mean it's unimportant or something you should ignore, but it's work that while important and keeps you busy, does not does not actually lead to promotion or leads to changes in your field and all those things that probably make your work actually very satisfying. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like it's a, a great
0: I've, example of that. The Covey the, the matrix of the the urgent things that they aren't important versus the important things and um that are not. No, has it, I just said that backwards. That the we tend to get bogged down in the urgent things that are like, oh my gosh, answer this email, and yeah. you know they're important, but the the things that are not urgent but also important are the things like your career and the papers, and the grants, and the thinking, and the deep thinking, and the planning, and those things don't have to be done today, so we tend to push them back, so it sounds like a lot of that similarity and being able to um, discern, discern yes. what, you know, where this, this thing falls in, and we tend to delude ourselves by saying, oh, I'm so productive, I'm so busy, but doing all these mindless, kind of tedious tasks, that's not necessarily the best use of our time, so I yeah. love that. And, and I cut you off. What were you saying?
1: Well, I, I think I was talking about how you block your time to accommodate these tasks. It's sort of like setting up meetings with yourself. So I use yeah. a combination of focus mate because then there's an actual human being on the other end. Um, but I also have on my calendar blocks of time, chunks of time where I, um, I I figured out over time how what are my best hours for doing that cognitive heavy work? And what are my best hours for doing the shallow work? And I found that somewhere around one o'clock, I, I like I can do the cognitive heavy lifting. And so that's usually when I will try to put away the emails and I'll try to put away, you know, the messages and everything that's trying to take your attention. And I, I literally turn those things off. I turn off notifications. Um, and because focus made is a set amount of times, so you can do 25 minute intervals, 50 minutes or 75 minutes. Um, after the, during the 10 minute break, that's when I might check and make sure that there was nothing urgent that came through. So it's kind of alleviates that mind's load of, oh, what if I miss something? Um, and sometimes I don't, sometimes you get on a roll, right. And you get into flow, that flow state, and you don't even know that the time has passed and now you've done something so productive and meaningful. That's such a good feel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. That um it's oh gosh the spelling of his name is just ridiculous for me but it's she sent me hi it looks like she sent me holly it's um i don't know what i think maybe it's i know what
1: you're talking about yeah but the 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 book is flow
0: yeah i mean that's exactly what uh that speaks to is when you we are in this state of mind where time just escapes us that is the big headline news that you're doing what you were put on this earth to do when you can get lost in your work it's a beautiful thing and can be dangerous if you don't set boundaries around um time constraints because then i mean i don't want to go too far afield but like in in wags we talk about some people like they binge right like oh i can do this and i'm going to binge this grant application well maybe sometimes we have to binge but the problem with Adopting the mindset of binging anything is you can't sustain that binge. Is it yeah, then yeah. you'll give yourself an excuse to not write tomorrow or next week because you're like, Well, I wrote for eight hours and I need a break. Well, no, writing is your job. You should do your job every day. Or, Yeah, so you wrote last week. You should still write this week. Or you'll beat yourself up going, Oh, how come I can't get back in that flow? I was so great last week and nah, now yeah. I'm Then and and there's that guilt 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 so it's really interesting the the binging thing and the in flow so that's again another paradox thing where it's a beautiful thing when you realize like oh that's right i love this stuff and so i think it's a good reminder of when you're getting lost in something joyfully um that's a reminder to you that's your gift and that's something that is you you value highly so hopefully you know we spend non insignificant amount of our time every week doing those things that bring us joy and the things that we love.
1: Yeah. But I like what you mentioned about having boundaries around that too. And I realized for myself that sometimes when I'm trying to push so hard at one project, you know, and we talked about how you can get kind of in a slog and, you know, your ideas go stale and yet you're still trying to push and that's not really efficient. Right. Right. Um, So I, I started doing this thing where at least every hour Um, I try to switch tasks. So it could still be all deep work. um, But maybe I will spend 30 minutes on this one project. And at the 30 minute mark, it's not done. And there's so much more to do. But I I say, you know, I'm going to switch to the next project that also still has a lot of things to do. Yeah. And or sometimes it's at the hour mark. I think sometimes it's hard to do it at 30 minutes. But I'll do. So one focus made session will be dedicated to this project. And then the next one, I'm going to switch gears and do a different project. And then I'm going to come back to the first project in the third hour. And suddenly I have new ideas because it was probably in the back of my head. And when you didn't try to shine a spotlight on that and, you know, put yourself on the spot and like force all those things out. It comes to you later, right? It's, it's right. an amazing thing that happens. Right? We all experience that, right? Like that thing that comes to you hours after you've talked about it with someone.
0: Exactly. It's an it, idea. Just yeah. to like your, your like micro break ideas. I don't know how many times that I've been metaphorically banging my head up against the monitor and I'll take a walk and then mid walk. Also, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I can, and I'm like, yes, exactly. My brain yeah. got some oxygen. I'm moving. I'm not thinking. I'm not forcing it. And boom, there's the idea. Mm-hmm. Or you wake up from a nap or you wake up from a dream. And it's there because your brain is like, see what I can do for you? If you just relax a little bit, thinking the metaphor of like cooking of those people who cook where, you know, we're like frantically, you know, like a maniac in the kitchen, chopping up vegetables <laughs> and making a soup and I'm tossing it all into a, the crock pot or a big soup pot. And then, you know, heating it on high blast. And I'm like, come on, be soup. And then you're like, that doesn't taste all right. But if you put it on simmer, or let it sit and come back to it later or tomorrow. Guess what? That soup's even better. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> you let it cook and you let the flavor yeah, let it simmer. Right. And so the same yeah. thing, I think sometimes our brains are just like, You give me a minute. I mean, let me think and stew and let me marinate on this idea. But we're always like, no time, no time, no time. Go, 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 go. Yeah. And 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 the irony of slowing down can make you faster. Exactly.
1: I have not learned how to apply that to cooking yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But one thing I also found helpful is that when you do get those aha ideas, when you're out for the walk, now you don't want to forget it, right? You're like, Oh, this, this idea is now burning. And so I found that dictation tools on your phone are very useful. In those moments, and you know, you could just use Siri, or you know, what depends on what you have in an Android phone. Um, but there's this really cool app called Audio Pen, and it's fabulous because it's AI driven, and so you can say your thoughts. It doesn't have to be beautiful, doesn't have to be prose, but it will give you a cleaned up version of what you said. So it, it won't be like a one to one transcript of all your and uh, scratch that, it will eliminate those random words and make coherent sentences for you. And so it's nice for capturing ideas. It's nice when um, maybe you're just starting to write a manuscript and you're looking at a blank paper. Sometimes when that happens and I feel like, oh, the intimidation of the blank paper I will dictate to on the phone. And that takes away that fear of perfectionism. Because sometimes I think... Many people in medicine, you know, want to make a perfect product and that can slow you down too. And so it's so helpful to not actually look at the screen and just dictate and just say your thoughts, just get them down on paper. And I find dictation an easier way to do that, especially knowing that this cool AI driven tool is going to give me a cleaner version of what I just said.
0: Right, because then isn't it so much easier to edit something than start fresh on that writer's block? Like you're saying, the blank screen. It's like, ah, I have so many thoughts. How do I get them writing? But gosh, it's so much easier to edit our work and anybody else's work than to start fresh.
1: Yeah. And what's really nice about AudioPen, though, is is because it's AI-driven and it's smarter, (laughs) there's less editing to do afterwards. You can set it to uh, make sure that it adapts to your style. Um, so you can give it a writing sample of your own writing. And cool. so that it will try to make sure that it aligns with your vocabulary, your writing, um, which is really, really cool. Wow.
0: Yeah. You know, Ashley, so I, you know, I coach so many faculty members in time management. I swear, despite faculty, like when I met, the first meeting is always like, I, I the assignment that they have before our first meeting is to think about what are your goals. And the goals can be A, B, C. And I'm telling you, almost maybe 80 percent of faculty members, when we get to the actual meeting and start talking, it's time management. It's a lot of time management things. And you said something earlier that I really want to circle back on, and and that has to do with um, saying no. Now you're you're an assistant professor, and so I get a lot of questions saying, well, Kim, it's easy for you to say say no. You're a professor. You're air quotes tenured. You don't have tenure, but you're tenured. It's easy for you to say, no, you're, you're older, you're more senior. How can you talk to our listeners around the world right now who are right at your level, right at, you know, on the ladder where you are, and how do you um, navigate the saying no, despite the fear of like, oh, I'm not going to be a team player. I'm not going to be, you know, a good community, a good citizen or I won't get promoted or people will stop asking me to do things. Or if I say no to this, this could be like the opportunity of a lifetime. And if I say no to that, then I'm not going to be on the grant. Or, oh my gosh, that, that fear, yes. the knowing, cognitively knowing that no is a complete sentence. And we should be judicious in how we spend our time. It should be mission-centric. But also mal- balancing that with if you're a newer faculty member and you're trying to build a career do you want to be that person of like, don't ask her. actually says no to everything. Saying no for me is still a work
1: in progress. And it's not an easy thing to do because there are so many great opportunities at Hopkins. And genuinely, I'm interested, right? It's like, I actually really want to do this. And it is a great opportunity. And what if this is a thing that furthers my career? And that makes it really hard to say no to all the different things out there. But one of the things that has really helped me was actually t- looking at my mission statement you know so I'm glad you brought up being mission centric and I know a lot of people might have heard this before and think like okay yeah sure whatever but it it is really helpful to think about your career trajectory like what why are you here and what are you really hoping to accomplish like what what makes you wake up everything and um sometimes you can even Think about that in one word. And for me, I realized that I love teaching and making things clearer to people. And that's what makes me hopefully a good medical educator. And that's, I think that's why my patients like me, because of the way I teach what's happening to them, to them. And when I teach about why we're choosing certain medications and things like that, and looking at things through that lens has been helpful for me to think about okay, does this new cool opportunity really fit that mission? Am I getting excited because this person's excited and their excitement is just transferring to me? Sometimes that happens too. Um, That's been helpful to just keep the lens in front of you. The other thing that's been really helpful, and again, still a work in progress, is building up a Gantt chart. Uh, So having a timeline of projects, knowing when the deadline is, and if there isn't a deadline, making one right and then sort of working backwards and saying i need this amount of time to do each piece of that project and then looking at your calendar and seeing where the projects overlap you know um maybe you'll still want to do those two projects simultaneously or three or four or however many but at least it gives you a better idea of how you're going to spend your time that month right you know you're oh wow this is going to be a busy week because i have multiple deadlines that have come up in the same week mm. and knowing that at least ahead of time can help me at least plan for it, give myself more energy for it, <laughs> think about what I'm going to need during that week to accomplish everything. Um, but another thing is then knowing that I'm going to need to say no to other projects because, hey, I booked up all my time in my calendar for these projects. And if I take on one more, there's just not enough time to give anywhere else. So physically yeah. putting it on a calendar or a Gantt chart or whatever format you like you know, having it visible to you in some way um, is is helpful because then it just it's like a reality check, right? It's like you're looking at this, and you know, there's an optimism, optimistic person in all of us. I think that thinks that we can do more than we can. Um, in fact, I was listening to a podcast. I think it's called Being Superhuman, hmm. and they talk about how we as humans are very poor at estimating how long something takes. And so one of the recommendations they make, even just on a day-to-day basis, is you know, look at the things you have to do today, and what are your top priorities for the day? And you should only pick two or three, but these are the things that only you can bring to the table. So you know, in the morning, I'm looking at my list and saying, okay, what is the unique thing that Ashley Paul is going to bring to the table today that, that is my top priorities today? And under those things, then you break it down into smaller bite-sized tasks, right? Like literally what's the step-by-step and you estimate how long each of those steps take you. And if you say, okay, I think this, you know, at first I got to start by emailing my co-authors. I don't know, I'm making this up right now, but uh, that might take me two minutes. Um, Let's just say I'm estimating that. Uh, Whatever time you estimate for each step, double that, because that's more closer to reality. It's going to take you double what you think. And good. I started keeping a chart of like a, here's the task, here's my estimated time, and here's the actual time. And it is true that the the doubling <laughs> is usually closer to the actual time something will take. And when it doesn't, right, when I am actually ahead of the, the doubled amount of time, it's like a win, right? It feels good. And you, you're like, oh, that's a nice dopamine rush right there. And that's helps you stay motivated. So
0: uh, super smart when people build houses, don't they say double or triple your budget and what something's going to cost and the amount of time it's going to take. You know, I always get mad when I, you know, watch these shows on HGTV. I'm like, well, that can't be that expensive. It only takes like half an hour with two commercial breaks. What, what's going to, what do you mean? It's going to take that much money and not reality. The the TV shows don't uh, tell you how much, it, how long something takes and how much money it costs. So. I think that makes super great sense, and I just googled that. It's the Superhuman Academy podcast with Jonathan Le- Levy or Levi.
1: I think, and there's another person too.
0: Yeah, uh, how to be superhuman. Yeah,
1: how to be superhuman podcast on Spotify.
0: Maybe that's maybe that's it, but check it out. Super. Yeah, fun.
1: yeah, it's, it's a very helpful tip, and I think it also again goes back to boundary setting, because you also have to sometimes set boundaries with yourself, right? What what are the boundaries of what I can do and acknowledging that, right? We only have so much energy and time and capacity for anything within a given day. And I know uh, people at Hopkins are already superhuman and do incredible things. It was actually helpful. One day I was talking to a friend and I was kind of behind on things and she's not in medicine. Um, She's in journalism actually. And she's like, she stopped and said, Ashley, I want to remind you that what you're already doing is much more than what most people, the average person does in their day. And Mm. that's incredible. So I hope you're taking stock of that, that that's incredible. And
0: (laughs) that's a great reminder, Ashley, so many faculty members, I mean, in academic medicine around the world, obviously, high achievers, overachievers, type A personalities want to serve, have a heart for um, service and helping and discovery and get so down on ourselves for not doing more and so along those lines you and I were talking about before we started the podcast the moms and dads out there Mm -hmm. um dads who are trying to do all this and make and build babies and future adults and trying to do all that and I coach so many people who were they're like I'm like do you have any?" I want you to just take a moment here and listen to what you just told me is going on you know twin two-year-olds you're pregnant you're selling your house and you're buying a new house you're putting in an r01 grant you're putting in a supplement for another grant you got a full patient load this was literally just the other day and i'm like do you this season of your life this will never happen again this is like a circus i said so when there's a circus going on you have to, you know, again, prioritize what's most important. Babies. Let's get the babies that are here and the one growing inside of you. That's number one. So it's yeah. this, but this it's, it's ironic that, yeah, the people who do the most seem to think that they're just not doing enough.
1: Yes, exactly. It's exactly that. And it's a, it's a fallacy, right? It's not really true. <laughs> you're doing so much and you're making such a great difference. And I think we don't take enough time to acknowledge that, individually but also as a community in medicine right you know i think part of that is built into the culture of these right. expectations um whether we put that on ourselves or on each other and so it's i think very important to stop and show ourselves appreciation appreciation for what we do and also others i you know like this is also a good cue to tell people and remind other people around you hey i see the hard work you're doing you know what you're doing is incredible I don't know if we do that enough.
0: No, uh, we we don't do it it's near enough celebration. It's all, and then you know people shrug it off. You know how I I'd, I'd start every leadership course with like, all right, everybody, what's going on? Who submitted a paper? Who submitted a grant application? Who's you know getting partnered or getting married or having a baby? And people kind of sit there real quiet, and then after one person go, all right, well, I submitted a grant. Well, I got a grant. People are almost like shy to promote themselves, yeah. brag about themselves, and and it's I think it's part of that culture of like, well, it's just you know I'm here. I'm not going to Venice. That's what's expected of me. And yet we don't pause to celebrate the achievements. Rather, we beat ourselves up for the grant that you didn't get, or the paper that didn't get accepted, or the award that you lost out on, or yeah. whatever the you know the promotion that got delayed because whatever, whatever. And so we are really super hard on ourselves. And I, it's really heartbreaking. And I I love when people like you are mindful of that and take moments as you have, you know, reminded us to these micro breaks and to celebrate, to be joyful. And like your gifting of being of harmony and positivity and relating to people and connecting. It's (laughs) so important.
1: I have definitely embraced my Clifton strengths, um, and I, I think that is also a very key thing to living your best life: is knowing what your strengths are and leaning into it. You don't have to have every strength in the world. You know, initially when I got these results of my Clifton strengths, of course, my first reaction was like, "Oh, are these like the soft skills, yeah, <laughs> the human relationship skills?" And you know, it's easy to discredit things that you do well in because you do well in it, right? um you don't think about how that me that same strength is not easy for somebody else to do oh,
0: Absolutely, and
1: so we all need to, each other right to to maximize what we can do in the world and it's okay that you don't have a certain strength it's in fact you just find the person who does have that strength that you're looking for and work as a team and that's becomes an even better thing
0: No, um, been,
1: yep. yeah but Um, going back to the boundary setting and the saying no to things, um, I, it's just, it it does get easier as you keep doing it. Um, and I've had to think about this in many, multiple sectors of my life because there was a time where I just, you know, wanted to do everything and thought I could do everything. And, you know, Hey, I've always managed to do everything sort of anyway, which probably I didn't, you know, (laughs) but we have these false beliefs about our, so our past selves too. Yeah. Um, well, I think something, I forget where exactly I heard this, but. Oh, it was on the happiness lab by Laurie Santos. Oh, it's right. one of my favorite podcasts. I
0: can't recall. She was at Yale, right? That course at yes. Yale?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She teaches a happiness course at Yale and she does this podcast. So you don't have to attend her a course. You could listen to her podcast where you get all the science driven information about happiness. And uh, one of the things that she talked about was in an interview, I forget who she was interviewing, I wish I could recall, but they talked about how we tend to agree to things thinking that our future selves will somehow have more time and more energy. And the reality is our future selves is the same person as ourselves right now, right? And you won't have more time or necessarily more energy. If you don't have time or energy today, and you don't want to do that today or tomorrow even then you're not going to want to do it in a month, and so that might be a reason or a cue to yourself that maybe I should say no to this. Yeah, and yeah. that's been really helpful too. I'm like, why am I being mean to
0: future Ashley? Future <laughs> Ashley deserves some grace too. <laughs> so, I love it. Stop being so mean to yourself. And coach in the coaching world, we talk about stop shooting all over yourself. That we should <laughs> like the play play of words there that we sh- we should are like I should be doing this. I should be doing, this. I should, be doing this. should be should be doing. Stop shooting all over yourself. Like, yeah, a little bit of mercy um, can go a long way.
1: Yeah. And that actually helps motivate you to do better anyway, right? We know that the the major self-criticism is not motivating. I don't know why we all tend to think it is. You know, we all get into that rut of, oh, I should have done this, that, that critic in our mind right. that brings us down and tries to berate ourselves into doing more. But you actually do more when you stop and congratulate yourself because that builds up like
0: basically yeah Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) that reward feeling and that helps you keep doing things
0: what was that we were talking the best of both worlds did I mention that already the podcast oh
1: yeah yeah so Laura Vanderkam Mm -hmm. Laura Vanderkam is a person who uh, has expertise in time management she has a couple different books Uh, one of them is called um what is it called how many hours are there in a week? That's the title of the book, <laughs> 24 times seven, right? So uh, she was saying how we tend to think about our time in 24 seven, but really we should be thinking about our time across a week um, or even across a month, I would say, because let's say you had several meetings and you had to go to these work dinners and therefore you did not reach to your time. But if you look at your time over the week or over the month or even the year, maybe you did that 5% of the time where you skipped bedtime reading to your kids because you had to take care of a work thing. But the other 95% of the time you did do it. And so are you actually a bad mom or dad? <laughs> you know, when the, when you actually stand back and look at the grand total of things. Yeah. And so she, and also the happy hour, both Cassie Holmes and Laura Vanderkam talk about tracking your time. And I've actually done this. There's apps that you can use to to track your time. And basically you try to say what you did with each hour of your day from the moment you woke up to the moment you went to sleep. Um, and you do this for at least a week. Um, I mean, you could do it for two. Don't wait for a typical week. There's no such thing. Right, That's not a reality, right? So you you just, you and you start somewhere and you look at how much time you spend on different things. And when you take a step back, that gives you an opportunity to sort of reconstruct your week. Uh, I think Cassie Holmes called that time crafting. So if you're not happy with how you spend your time, then how do you want to try to shift things so that you are spending your time more on the things that bring you happiness, the things that bring you success in your career, the things that fulfill you? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, time is one of those things that you can't take back. Once it's spent, it's spent, right? Even money can come back technically, right? You can make more money, but you can't make more time. Than what you're already given. And so it's nice to actually look at the whole picture and say, oh wow, I spent three hours on emails on this one day. And this is a re- this is actually a true story. <laughs> I <laughs> didn't realize how much time I spent on emails until I did this time tracking. And i had done it a couple of times just to kind of keep refreshing and looking um how I spend my week. And then I started blocking my time differently. So I was like, okay, well, maybe instead of doing three hours straight of emails. Which is super draining. I could break it up. Maybe I'll do an hour in the when I, you know, first thing in the morning, hour somewhere in the midday, an hour towards the end of the day. And so I make sure I catch the most important things. And I also set the boundary that after that hour is over, I'm going to move on to another task, knowing that I'm going to come back later. Yeah. So I don't need to freak out that I missed yeah. all my
0: skills. I love those recommendations. And I was talking yesterday to um someone and said, you know, what else could you, you know, we're coaching, I was coaching her and I said, what else could you do maybe to, um, alleviate that fear of if I don't do it now, it's not going to get done. That kind of, you know, because her, her concern her anxiety was if I block, if I time block things and I stop, you know, start and stop on time, what if, you know, I just, I never, I don't finish the thing you know, the thing, or like if I'm in the middle of doing Epic or charting things for the my patients, I can't just stop when it's my calendar says to stop. And I was going to go, well, why not? Tell me more about that. And then she's like, well, because what if I'm not done with the thing, whatever the thing is? And so I said, well, how could you, what could you do to, you know, get rid of that fear of not doing the thing? She's like, well, I guess at the end of the week, I could schedule in some time of just like all the odds and ends. I'm like yeah, there you mm-hmm. go so she's like okay i i could let me try that this week i'm just scheduling an hour on friday afternoons so that way i won't worry that if something i've not finished because i didn't have the time or something else crept into that you know you know creep mission creep that she could just scoot the thing over to that friday and yeah. that way her brain was not on high alert like what do you mean you got to do it now you got to do it now you got to do it now she's like no you're you're the friday odds and ends and bits and pieces kind of yeah so that hopefully that'll work for her
1: yeah that sounds similar to um how to get a lot done that book right the mind like water concept because if you don't yeah have that safety net it's you didn't really take it out of your brain right and and so then it's just humming in the background i love that i love that uh blocking off time for for the things that could get in the way or for or for to alleviate that fear of what if I don't come back to this? Or what if I don't finish this? And I definitely felt this (laughs) when I first started trying to manage my time this way. And all I can say is that, especially since I track my time, I can actually say this in an evidence-based way, that my productivity has only increased because I did not get lost in the one task that I could spend three hours straight on, right? And and I still accomplished the same amount of work, right? Like the work I had to put t- towards the emails, towards my in basket with patient messages, those things did not suffer because I put it. I, I stopped part way and I switched to a different task, such as working on a manuscript. But if I didn't switch tasks, if I didn't force myself to put it down and move on to the next thing, the other things did suffer. And so it's a, it's a lot nicer when I'm at the end of the week and I'm like, wow, I actually made progress. In all these things, like I move the dial. So, you know, maybe none of these manuscripts are done yet, but they all have made progress so that I'm not at the, you know, the last hour, the 11th hour trying to just finish it in a hurry. Yeah. And I actually did good work in it. And it was actually not a bad experience, right? It wasn't st- as stressful. Because one thing I think I want to get back to, you know, we were talking about how when you ask people at the start of a meeting, Right. Like, well, what are the announcements? Did anyone submit grants? Is, is there anything that to celebrate? And people kind of reluctantly say things and maybe not even joyfully say things. You know, I, I think the problem here is that we have an expectation that once we achieve this certain thing, we're going to be happy. But there's always another thing to achieve. And While the product can bring happiness, it's really the process, right? So you you have to enjoy the process of what you do day to day. And if you're not careful, it's so easy to get overloaded by all the different demands on your plate and not enjoy the process and just get lost in three hours of email. (laughs) So I I think making the process more enjoyable actually makes the product more celebratory and and then it's easier to stop and congratulate ourselves on what we did because we actually enjoyed what we did day to day for the most part. Of course, there's going to be things that come up and, you know,
0: yeah. Oh, I love it. That And that to me sounds sustainable. And it sounds like this model is something that you we're know, focusing on the process is a sustainable way of living and a habit that is something that will carry you through your career and especially knowing that it's grounded in your values and our, that's why our values and knowing our values are so important that once you can figure out our values in life and figure out the processes and efficiencies and the, the micro breaks and the joy, this is something that, okay, you, you may not have that fear of like, how can I do this for the rest of my life? Rather, it'd be like, I can do this for the rest of my life. I've yeah. Been-
1: Yeah, Yes. It's it's like the, you know, you know, the long, the marathon, right? Like you're not going to run at full speed the whole time, right? You want to pace yourself. Um, I have to give credit to Tiny Habits by DJ Fogg, because I don't know if he explicitly says this, but in terms of sustainability, um, it did help me not blame myself. And I think we all have a little bit of that guilt that comes with not doing things well or as well as we think we should we put such high expectations on ourselves and in the past I might have said to myself like oh Ashley maybe you're just not good enough you know or maybe this is you just can't do it well enough um and now instead I step back and say what do I need to tweak about my process an, I'm not flawed as a person <laughs> yeah <Right>. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a decent person I'm a decent physician I'm a decent teacher I like to think um so what can i tweak about the process of what i do to make this better rather than what do i need to change about myself as a person i don't need to change myself i'm happy with who i am right like we all should embrace yeah. who we are embrace our strengths um who i
0: am versus what i do you know? yeah
1: exactly yeah um
0: love it love it
1: the tiny habits gave me a model to think about that See so talks about the action behavior and then like the congratulatory stuff like the abcs right so what is the action that you're or habit that you're trying to create um oh no i'm sorry that's anchor it's anchor behavior Uh, i apologize i'm totally misquoting this but basically the behavior is the habit you're trying to create and you want to anchor it to something you already do because it's really hard otherwise to sustain a new habit so Mm -hmm. his example is kind of a silly one but it's uh he was super embarrassed when he went to the dentist and they caught, you know, dentists always know that you didn't floss your teeth every now and <laughs> <day."> <laughs> and he's a behavioral scientist. <laughs> so extra embarrassing. Like, how did you forget to floss your teeth? Um, so I think he created the anchor of brushing your teeth. That was an easy anchor. The behavior was flossing, but he made it so easy. He made it such a simple, simple, simple task that it wasn't something that should bring stress. So he, he just told him, so I'm going to floss one tooth and that's it. And I'm going to be happy about that. And <laughs> so he flosses one tooth. And then he actually has like a prescribed self-congratulation thing that he does. Like whether that is like patting yourself on the back or doing a pump. that's like, yeah, I did it. I flossed one tooth. <laughs> um, and it sounds so silly, but it, I think it is just as so silly that we spend so much time, you know, breeding ourselves, which actually does not lead to more productivity. There's just so much evidence behind that. That, and there's so much written about that. Right. So I think, you know, as scientists and we're all evidence based driven. Right. So here's the evidence points to actually taking a moment to be like, yeah, OK, good job to help motivate yourself to keep doing it. Right. That's how you build up motivation and how you build up the sustainability. And soon he was flossing all his teeth. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I've done similar things for myself. Um, to try to build up habits that are sustainable. And it really does work. Um, And when it didn't work, I went back to the process. What are the barriers for me to carry out this action? Like, was my anchor not a good anchor? You know, Mm. maybe it's not a consistent thing. Um, Was, um, yeah, was there something else in the way? Um, Another example I think he gave was of a woman who super productive at work, you know, like, very organized very successful but just couldn't figure out how to get out of bed and exercise in the morning she's like i would wake up on time but i wouldn't go exercise and eventually together they discovered that her barrier was that phone first thing in the morning was that what doom scrolling it's like when you're looking
0: at right like yeah facebook
1: twitter i think they call it x now whatever uh social media doom scrolling right and uh Yeah, and then you suddenly, it's time to go to work, right? It's not, you lost your time to exercise. And so um, I think she created a new habit of putting the, not using her phone as an alarm, right? So now the anchor became an ordinary alarm clock that she couldn't, you know.
0: <laughs> or you can't doom scroll along your a radio alarm, old-fashioned radio alarm clock. Yeah, yeah.
1: and so sometimes you just have to step back and see what's getting in the way of your process and then think about how to reconfigure we strategize again to get around that. Love it. Ugh. See
0: what I'm talking about, friends. I told <laughs> you would love Ashley Paul. She has just tons and tons of tips and advice, and I'm just so happy that you came on today and shared with us, Ashley. I'm going to give you uh, the last word. But if you want to get in touch with Ashley Paul, um, Dr. Paul's email address is a paul19. A P A U L one nine at jhmi.edu you'll see your little bio on the facultyfactory.org website but again Dr. Paul thank you so much you're brilliant but final word to you
1: oh final word well I hope this is all helpful I know there's a lot that we mentioned a lot of different tools um I think sometimes that itself can be overwhelming you know when I talk about this with my friends and other people I, I know there's a resistance. They're like, well, that's great for you, but I don't think I can do that. I will say this took me years to start to develop, and I, it's still a work in progress. And so just taking a step back and just, I would just start by thinking about your process and pick one tool to start with and see how it goes. And if it doesn't work for you, there's other tools out there. There's so much.
0: So. I love yeah, in the, in the coaching world again, I had keep talking about coaching, but we say, "What is the smallest change you could make that would result in the biggest difference, or have the greatest?" Yes, thing? The smallest thing you can do versus thinking, "All right, I got you know things that what's the smallest thing you can do right now that would have the biggest impact?" Exactly. And yeah, you. Thank you so much, Ashley. You were wonderful. Appreciate you and everybody. Come on back to the Faculty Factory podcast next time, and maybe you should be on the podcast too. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions